and Pogba leaves for McTominay! Magnificent! It's Moraes, he's done it again! He has fizzed at it to the bottom corner. Vardy for Chowdhury. And set for Madison! Alisson saw Salah running from his own half, so onside here, Mo Salah. Salah to settle it! In front of the cop! There's no feeling like that feeling! And now you've got to believe them. You have got to believe them. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of the 3PL Podcast. The international break is over and there's less than 10 games to go now in the Premier League with all to play for at both the top and the bottom of the league. This weekend we have our first game, which we're going to go straight into, which is Chelsea taking on West Brom at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, Chelsea, what to say about them really? They've been impressive ever since Thomas Tuchel walked through the door. He's been probably the best hire I've seen in the Premier League for a long time. He hasn't lost a game yet. 14 games in all competitions, unbeaten flying in the Premier League, flying in Europe. And yeah, they look like a completely different team to what Frank Lampard had. And it's credit to Tuchel really for turning the side around because I don't think I saw them pushing for Europe this season, but that's exactly what they're doing now. And yeah, they've got West Brom this weekend and I expect it to be a pretty one-sided game. West Brom have been poor all season, nothing changed in their last Premier League game, a 1-0 defeat against Crystal Palace. And I think they're destined for the drop at this point. So yeah, I mean, things are looking pretty positive at Chelsea though. Yeah, definitely. The, the defensive aspects of Chelsea are just such an improvement over where they were under Frank Lampard towards the end they're they're looking so solid at the back they're conceding hardly anything and they're scoring plenty of goals as well although not scoring like bags of goals but they're they're scoring the goals they need to get the wins you could argue they've had a couple of disappointing results in in their recent run obviously they they drew with Southampton at a time when Southampton was sort of losing every game so they could sort of arguably have said they should have won that one and then obviously drawn with Leeds as well in what was a really boring game actually but there's overall the form that they've had coming into the international break was um, exceptional and they'll have gone away feeling really positive. From what I've heard, I'm not aware that they've picked up any sort of key injuries over the international break, which is always a, a good sign for any team. And yeah, as you said about Tuchel, I mean, he's done an incredible job since he came in. Really, really strong form. The only thing I slightly worry about is you do often see with managers, they get this really good start and then it all starts to crumble away. But honestly, with the way they're playing, there's no sign of that happening. There's no sort of warning signs or anything there that makes me think that this is a sort of a bit of a lucky run for them. It looks like he's got them playing really good football, really consistent football. And I think they should probably find this game against West Brom fairly straightforward and a bit of a walk in a park for them. I totally agree. I mean, the way Chelsea are playing is just completely night and day from what Frank Lampard was doing. I think Frank Lampard's tactics were very basic in terms of player roles and and how they would react to certain situations. I think now Tuchel's come in, every player in this team has a role. And they know what they have to do in every situation during the 90 minutes. And it's evident from watching them, even for a short amount of time, you can watch one half of them play football and and you know you can see the difference. And it's credit to him, like you said, for having that turnaround straight away, coming into a club and stamping your your print on this team, which is exactly what he's done. And like you said, I think all they're missing really is a couple of players up top to to start scoring goals. Timo Werner, you would think, would be that player, but we haven't seen as much from him so far this season. And I think if he does ever get going, which I think is a matter of time personally, might come very late this season. But once that happens, I, I do imagine Chelsea are going to be very formidable as a team. I think defensively they're there already. They've got those players and they look solid. Uh, they finally have a reliable goalkeeper as well. So yeah, I actually disagree a little bit. I think Thomas Tuchel will probably manage to maintain this run of form up until the end of the season, perhaps finish in the top four, get Champions League football. But then perhaps, like you said, maybe he'll start to struggle next season when he has more time to build the squad, more time with the players and maybe things start to fall apart a bit and teams figure them out more. But Early signs are very, very bright and I do expect them to get a very comfortable win over West Brom. I've gone for a 2-0. I think it's going to be solid. I think Sam Allardyce will set up his team to concede you know, very few goals and ultimately they won't be able to put that game plan into place. But I think Chelsea will just about see them off with maybe one or two goals from their midfield players because that's who they look to for goals now, um, especially players like Mason Mount, who's been so impactful both for England and Chelsea recently. So I think he could be really important for them in this game. Yeah, Mount's definitely been such a bright player this season, um, especially as we've seen for England over the last few games. And yeah, I agree. Obviously, it's, it's going to be a Chelsea win. I've actually gone for a 3-0 win, which might be a bit of a, a stretch, um, especially considering that as bad as West Brom have been this season, they've actually not 
conceded that many goals over their last few games. They've, they're defensively, they've definitely improved. But I'm I'm just sort of waiting for that moment when inevitably Chelsea's goal scoring run will start and they will start picking up goals. And as you said, if Timo Werner starts scoring, then they're in in, in for a really good run. And for that reason, I've gone for a three 0 win, and I'm back in Werner to actually get at least one goal, maybe a couple. That Maybe that kickstarts his sort of run to the end of the season, builds him up some confidence in the lead-up to the Euros, and he could then really hit the ground running in his second season at the club, um, especially once he gets fans back in the stadium. And hopefully those fans will push him on and, and keep his form going. Yeah, you do see that a lot of new signings in the Premier League, especially. Uh, their first season can be a struggle, but then once they get going, once they get familiar with the league, the opponents, um, they do start to come alive. And I do think Timo Werner could be one of those players who just all of a sudden flicks the switch and he could just become, you know, the top goal scorer next season. So I think it's worth keeping an eye on his form. But yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it's going to be comfortable for Chelsea. All right, moving on then, we have Leeds versus Sheffield United at Ellen Road on Saturday. And it's going to be another one-sided game, in my opinion. I mean, Leeds have just come up this season and they've been playing exactly the way we all expected them to. And they've been exciting to watch. A couple of key players they have, Rafinha, Bamford have been supplying all of the excitement. Uh, again, we saw it against Fulham. Rafinha with the goal, Bamford with the goal. And that was enough to get them the win at the end of the day. And that's going to be their, you know, tried and tested method every single game now. They can link to these players to make the impact. And that's exactly what they've been doing. And that's why they find themselves so high up the league table at the moment in 11. Coming up against Sheffield United, who, you know, are destined for the drop. They've been destined for the drop for a good, like, three months now. Maybe even longer than that, to be honest. They've been awful since day one in the Premier League. And nothing's really changed except the most recent developments that they've sacked their manager, Chris Wilder. He's finally left the club. I think there was a, a bit of turmoil going on there. Lots of rumours coming out that maybe he wanted to leave a lot earlier than he did and wasn't given the backing that he wanted. And so finally, he had to draw the line under it and move on. But I think that's really going to affect Sheffield United for the rest of the season. We saw it even in their game against Leicester, just how weak they were defensively, something that you would just never put on this Sheffield United team. But they just looked so fragile at the back. They're all shot of confidence. And if anything, I think this could be a really bad sign of things to come for them, because if they can't pick up their heads after this manager change, I think they're really going to struggle for the rest of the season. And going away to Leeds after you've just been thumped by Leicester is not the best game to go straight into after an international break. So I do worry for them a bit in this one. Yeah, I have to agree. The the stat that I saw that amazed me was that I think under Wilder, they never lost by more than four goals or ne- never lost by four goals or more, I think. And then obviously first game without him, they lose 5-0 to Leicester. And it, it was just a, a capitulation from them in that Leicester game. Leicester could have won by six or seven, really, with the chances they had. And Sheffield United just seemed to have lost all sort of motivation or fight or drive for it. And if that continues into this game, I think Leeds could run riot as well. And we could see a similar scoreline. So I've actually gone with the 4-0 in this. I think Leeds are, are primed to sort of actually get Loads of goals, loads of chances. Sheffield United won't know what to do with them. I think, you know, Leeds have got a huge amount of confidence in their team. It's one thing you've seen in every game they've played. They've always played with confidence, always played with passion, which is a bit of a cliche to say now, obviously. But, you know, that is that is the case. And if Sheffield United come out the opposite, it could be a really one-sided game here. Yeah, it really could be. And I think unlike most teams, Chris Wilder almost epitomised his team. He was the almost spearhead for this Sheffield United team. The way they played, the way, or the morale in the team, you know, everyone seemed to love him. And I think by taking almost the heart out of this Sheffield United team, it's going to absolutely cripple them for the rest of the season. And I really do think they need to make a hire before the end of the season. I know it might be somewhat critical of the management just to, you know, leave a care take a manager in charge at the end of the season is probably the logical thing to do and then you make up your mind over the summer as to who you want to take the club on but personally I really do think they're going to have to bring someone in pretty quickly because these players are struggling for confidence struggling for almost every single aspect you need to be a football player and I think every single team that comes into a game against Sheffield United at the moment will see them as an easy easy three points and you know almost a goal glut will happen in every game and like you said I think this could be really convincing as well I've gone through a 3-1 Leeds win so not too different from you Leeds haven't been all that solid at the back and I do expect them to be a bit leaky in the in the run-in but ultimately, I think Leeds will be way too strong for Sheffield United. And it's funny because you look at Sheffield United last season, and this is kind of the opposite as to what they're doing this season. You know, Leeds are flying high and it's kind of what Sheffield United were doing last year. And, you know, how it can all change so quickly is is kind of sad. And it's going to be a shame to see them drop out of the Premier League. But hopefully, fingers crossed, they bounce back pretty quick and they can get a new manager in because I do think that's going to be key for them next season. Yeah, they're definitely going to need someone to sort of take control of that team and, and rebuild it and, and get the confidence back, get the players back on side and get the team sort of playing in the way that we've seen them play before. Um, maybe not the exact same tactics, but we've seen that team have a clear identity in the past. They clearly can work with the manager and, and learn to play a, a style of football that suits the manager and that 
tactically works against other teams. So if they're going to have any chance of coming back up from the championship, they're going to need to sort of start that rebuilding process straight away. And and ideally, they need to start that rebuilding process before the end of this season, almost forget about what happens for the rest of the season, work on making things right for the start of next season. Because really, what have they got to lose this season now? You know, if they go out and try different tactics and it fails, they're not losing anything at this stage. So yeah, it's a difficult time for Sheffield United, but you know, hopefully for their fans, there's some positive times on the horizon as well. Okay, up next, we've got a really big top four clash. Leicester City are taking on Manchester City. Leicester sitting in third and and City obviously top of the league, flying high, favourites for the title by quite some distance at the moment. Leicester, quite rightly so, have had a huge amount of praise for the way they've played this season. And that was epitomised with their sort of demolition of Sheffield United last game, just just as we were talking about. But City have obviously been demolishing teams left, right and centre, recently as well they've scored hatfuls of goals in plenty of games and looked really really solid defensively as well so this is going to be a real clash of two very very powerful teams I think probably the most difficult game to call of the weekend in my opinion yeah you're not far off I don't think I think it's going to be a very close game and but we saw earlier in the season Leicester went to Man City and absolutely dismantled them and I know it was completely different Man City side but we know that Leicester have that ability in them to play on the counter and really take the game to Man City and I think if they do try and play the same way this time it probably won't be quite as effective because this Man City side have come such a long way since then and probably for the first time this season they have no injuries to worry about they have a fully clean squad and I think that's going to play a massive part in their running because they have players all over the pitch who can make the difference on the day probably wouldn't take one player out of that team and replace them with anyone else from any other club I think at the moment they have the strongest squad in Europe potentially and yeah I think this is going to be probably one step too far for Leicester especially with the injuries they've had although they've been coping pretty well without Madison and Barnes recently I do think this will probably be a game too far for them and as impressive as Ian Nacho has been I just don't see him doing the business against his former team unfortunately but it's, it's credit really to Brendan Rodgers for dealing so well with this injury crisis he's had because you know take Madison and Barnes out of most teams and they'd start to crumble but credit to them because they've really kept going and Ian Nacho's picked up the slack and he's scored six goals in his last six games and that's something they really needed for someone of his stature you know someone who's going to come in off the bench probably sit on the bench most of the season but they can come in when he's needed and actually score the important goals to win games and it's rare that you see that really from players to come in and really stake a place and I think he's probably arguably going to keep his place in that Leicester team when those players come back because he's been so impressive so it's going to be a very good test for them but I do think Man City will be too strong and at the moment they probably are looking like nailed on title winners and yeah I think it's going to be a fairly comfortable win actually I've gone for a 2-0 Man City win I just don't think Leicester are going to have enough to break through that almost formidable at this point Man City defence. Yeah, interestingly on Ian Acho, obviously, as you said, great form coming into this game. And this will be a game that he would absolutely love to score a winning goal in, wouldn't he? I mean, he had so much potential. Um, and I remember there was a huge amount of excitement around him when he was at Man City. And obviously... He was probably a victim, unfortunately, the fact that he was coming through the team at the time that Aguero was at his absolute peak of goal scoring ability and, and keeping fitness. And ironically, since Ianacho's left, Aguero spent a huge amount of time on the sidelines. And obviously, that's that's allowed more time for players like Gabriel Jesus to come in, whereas Ianacho arguably would have had a great opportunity to become a, a key striker for City if he'd still been in the team at that stage. But he's been at Leicester for quite some time now. He's never really made himself a fixture of the team. Obviously, again, competing against one of the most informed strikers in the league in Jamie Vardy. So I do almost feel a little bit sorry for him. He's clearly got a lot of talent, but he's just always been second best, not through any fault of his own, just because there's always been sort of a world-class striker ahead of him. But he's really taken advantage of that in the last few games, scored plenty of goals, and he'll be hoping he can continue that in this one. But unfortunately, I do have to agree with you. I think City will be sort of the overall victors in this game. I've also gone with a two-goal margin, but I've gone with a 3-1 win for Man City. Although Man City have have had a really sort of solid defence, they have shown a few frailties in that defence recently. They've not looked quite as good in the last few games as they had in the sort of previous 10-15 before that. And obviously, they've got pretty much their entire defence coming back from international duty. There's going to be some potentially some tired legs out there. So if Jamie Vardy is fit and manages to get past the defenders then obviously we've seen him time and time again score one-on-one with the keeper so I can see Leicester scoring but I definitely think Man City are going to come out on top in this one yeah I think Man City are just too strong for Leicester at this time of the season and I think it will probably tell on the day going into the next game then we have last season's title winners Liverpool coming up against Arsenal another huge game really Uh, if you look at the two teams and where they sit currently in the Premier League you've got ninth versus seventh probably where neither team wanted to be at the start of the season but ultimately that's where they are and Liverpool especially won't be used to being this low down on the table. You know, for the last couple of years, they've been winning the title, only just missed out on the title the year before that. Yeah, but now they find themselves in seventh, probably somewhere they never even fathomed being. But 
yeah, they're coming into this game against Arsenal, and Arsenal are probably on better form than Liverpool at the moment. They'll be fancying their chances a little bit because it's very rare that you come up against Liverpool and you feel like the stronger team or they look vulnerable. But this is, yeah, basically a sign of the times, and Liverpool have been vulnerable all season without those centre-back pairings, um, without Van Dijk, without Gomez. They just haven't looked solid all season, and they've been found out by plenty of teams recently. I mean, their home record at the moment is absolutely abysmal. They pretty much lose every game they play at Anfield since Burnley ended the streak there. But yeah, I think maybe playing away might do them a favour in this game because a little bit less pressure on this game might be able to, you know, free a couple of players up after international break. But I do think it's to be a much closer game than people expect. I think people probably expect Liverpool to hit some form towards the end of the season. But equally, I think this is probably the best form that Arsenal have been in all season coming off the back of that 2-1 win in the North London derby against Tottenham. A draw that will feel like a win against West Ham coming back from three goals down to get a point. And they progressed in the Europa League as well. So it's been a really positive couple of weeks for Arsenal. And I think a win against Liverpool would really cap things off pretty nicely. Yeah, Arsenal have been on some really good form recently. And I think deservedly so. The, the results have come about through some really good play from them. Especially the, the 3-1 victory they got against Leicester a few weeks back. I thought was really impressive. We've just been talking about how good Leicester have been. And, and they, they made that game look quite easy, actually. And then obviously the fight back against West Ham, which still haunts me to this day. Um, it was a horrible game to watch, but fair play to Arsenal. They, they fought back from 3-0 down and, and not, not a lot of teams do that. It showed a real good amount of character and they'll need good character going into this game against Liverpool because although Liverpool have been on poor form, they, they are still a quality team with quality players. They've still got world-class players in, in all positions on the pitch and regardless of the form they're in, you've got to be on your game to get a result against them. Yeah, I don't think you can say that any of the teams that have beaten Liverpool over the last few weeks didn't deserve to do so I think they all deserved to to beat them based on the way they played so it's not like Liverpool have been sort of crumbling against poor teams they've been been deservedly beaten by teams who are up for the fight so Arsenal will definitely need to be up for the fight as well I think they will be and I think it could be a really really tight game this one actually Um, and I, I can imagine it being a draw I think both teams need a win and both teams will fight for a win and I've gone for a 2-2 draw. I can see both teams getting in on the goal-scoring action, um, but neither team being able to clinch it at the final whistle. Yeah, it's interesting that you said, you know, they showed good spirit to come back against West Ham. I think that really was a game that just showcased how far Arsenal have come as a side since Arteta's really taken over the club. I think he is, as a manager, kind of epitomises fighting spirit and, you know, never giving up and making sure your mentality is right going into every game. And you know at half-time in that West Ham game, he went in there and he probably gave them what for. They probably shouted his head off at them because it wasn't good enough. Ultimately, it was a really poor performance in that first half against West Ham. But they came out in the second half and you could see that they fighted for the manager. And, and you know, I think that's all you can really ask for as a manager. So I think Arteta will be really happy with that result. I think it's probably the happiest. He'll probably be happier about that result than he was in the North London derby. I think he probably would have been a lot more pleased with his side after that 3-0 draw than he was against Tottenham. Yeah, again, it's credit to Arteta for, for really turning around their side and their mentality because they were very fragile early in the season. They started so badly, you know, around Christmas time, people were calling for Arteta to be sacked. But I think they've come such a long way since then. And then this Liverpool side, again, it's going to be difficult to break down on the day. But I do think Arsenal might just edge it. Um, I think they've got momentum, got the players who are in form, Lacazette scoring, and it's rare that he hits a purple patch where he just scores goals in every game, but he's been doing that lately. And then he's coming up against this Liverpool side who have been a bit goal shy, but lately they've been better. And I think that's mainly down to the reappearance of Jota. I think he's really important for them now, um, which is something I didn't imagine at the start of the season. But he kind of plays in that almost deep-lying forward role, uh, similar to Firmino, but obviously offers so much more than Firmino in terms of pace and really attacking defenders. So I think he could play a big part in this game too. And unfortunately, I've gone for the same prediction as you. I've gone for a two-all draw in this one. It's got goals written all over it. And I wasn't a back down after I heard your prediction and change it. But I would be kicking myself if this turns out 2-2 and I'd gone one all instead. So I've gone for a 2-2 draw. And I, I do think that's probably the way it's going to play out. We'll, we'll both be happy then if that result comes in. But yeah, never, never change your prediction just because someone else has gone for it as well. You've got to stick with it. Because as you said, worst feeling in the world when you don't back yourself. Moving on to the next game, Southampton against Burnley, 14th v 15th. You said that obviously there's going to be plenty of goals in Arsenal-Liverpool. I'm afraid I can't say the same for this one. I'm viewing this as being a bit of a a stale match, um, I'm afraid. 12 o'clock on a Sunday as well, I think, given that we can all go out in the sunshine now and potentially be drinking plenty of beers on the Saturday. I'm not sure I'm going to be waking up for a 12 o'clock game on the Sunday, but I'm sure you'll be watching it. I'm sure you'll be more dedicated than me, but I don't know. are Are you predicting big things for this one? 
Well, you've pretty much sold me on the idea of beers in the park now over watching Southampton play, so I might be doing that instead, to be honest. But I think if you'd asked me that same question a couple of weeks ago before this FA Cup game we had against Bournemouth, I would have been very negative about this game. Um, obviously, the last Premier League outing for us was terrible. Going down 2-1 to Brighton um, in the circumstances that we did, I thought was extremely poor. I thought we had every opportunity in that game at half-time to take it on and win the game. But again, like we've seen a lot this season, we've come out at half-time and played almost without any effort or care whatsoever and we deserve to lose the game. So I think Ralph must have said something to get to get the team up for the FA Cup game and it worked because we were a lot better. Uh, tipped the game to Bournemouth and I thought we looked, you know, like 10 times better than we have done recently. So if we can play with that same urgency and that same desire that we did against Bournemouth, I'm optimistic that we can get something out of this game. Albeit this Burnley side have become one of those teams who are quite difficult to beat. We've seen it with their recent results, even this, just recently with their last result against Everton, I thought was almost symbolised everything that Burnley stand for, you know, that solid defensive effort and then you get a couple of chances, you take them and you win the game, which is basically what they did. I thought they played really, really well in that game and efficient up front, which is something you couldn't really say for too much this season. But Dwight McNeil finally got a goal and he's one of those players I thought coming into the season would be absolutely crucial for their survival push and staying mid-table. But I think that was like maybe only his second goal of the season and we saw the quality of that goal that he is, you know, more than good enough to change a game. And yeah, I think players like him, you need to get the best out of them. I don't think it's something that Burnley have done this season. So personally, I think we might just edge Burnley, but I think that's a more wishful thinking than anything else, because I think previously, in previous seasons, we found Burnley at home a fairly easy fixture and we've, we've, tend to, we've tended to get the win. But yeah, I do think this could be quite a tight game and a nervy one as well, because it does actually mean a lot more than it, than it appears. I mean, they're one place below us currently. I think they'll leapfrog us on the table if they win and... I think momentum-wise, we really do need to get something positive out of this game because we have Crystal Palace next after this game. And those are two crucial games for us and almost a push to, you know, get to that safety margin. So I'm going to back us to win, but I'm not as confident as I would like to be, to be honest. I've gone for a 1-0. Yeah, I think it's a fairly sensible prediction. I'm not I'm not going with the same. I'm going with a 0-0. Um, I don't see it being a high-scoring game at all. It, it, it's, neither team has shown a huge amount of goal-scoring ability over the last few games. So, yeah, I'm predicting a fairly boring game, I'm afraid. But obviously, as you say, it'd be really vital for you if you can get a win. just gives you that massive edge over the rest of the teams in that bottom half. Um, and then especially if you could back that up with a positive result against Palace in the next game, it could be a really good sort of chance to push back up towards the middle of the table rather than being just above that, that sort of set of relegation candidates. And just psychologically for the team, that would be a good boost. Whereas for Burnley, I think they they did well to get that win against Everton. It, it was their first win in quite a few games. And it was an important win for them because they haven't beaten sort of many teams that are actually in the top half of the table this season. Obviously, they got that famous victory against Liverpool at Anfield. But other than that, the majority of the points they've picked up have actually come against teams in, in the bottom half or teams around them. So, you know, the the Everton game will have given them some some confidence, but they need they need to back that up with some more points following on otherwise those games against the the top half teams don't mean too much if you then lose the games around you to the teams that that are sort of around the same area as you so as you say a really important game for both teams regardless of the fact that you know neither team's really a relegation candidate and neither team's really going to be going for Europe at this stage but there's there's still a lot to play for in and around those places. Yeah I looked at this game beforehand and we're both locked on 33 points at the moment Burnley and Southampton and I think both teams will go into this game thinking three points will see us safe this season um, regardless of whether we're close to danger or not I think you get to that 36 point mark with eight games left and you're safe because you will pick up four points in that time so it is a big game and I think a win for both either team could be absolutely crucial uh, not just for momentum but where they finish the season I think a win for us could take us up to potentially 10th um, but a loss definitely leaves you looming in the round 15th so yeah it's a big game uh, whatever way you look at it really. Okay, another big game then at the bottom of the Premier League sees Newcastle host Tottenham. Newcastle have been absolutely dire recently. I think their last result was probably the worst possible result they could ask for at this stage of the season. I mean, a 3-0 loss to Brighton, who are you know just above you in the Premier League, is absolutely shocking. And the way they lost that game as well was absolutely awful. 3-0 down. Yeah, there's no desire to go and try and get anything out of this game. It was absolutely abysmal to watch. And I thought, can I just summarise everything about this Newcastle side and how they're playing at the moment? Just bereft of confidence, no faith in their manager, no faith in their tactics. And it really came across in this game. And I thought Brighton absolutely took them apart, which is something that they've been doing to teams recently, just not getting that final outcome and not getting the win. But Brighton finally, you know, almost had a goal glut of all those chances that they've missed all season. They all came in this game. And it was really impressive to see not just Welbeck, but Trossard, you know, have really great games and look so much better when they're 
those two players are playing um, to the top of their form. So it was really impressive, actually, the way that Brighton dismantled Newcastle. But at the same time, as a Newcastle fan, it must be very worrying to see your team go down that easily. You know, they didn't show any kind of fight whatsoever. And the season's not over yet. And, you know, they're only three points ahead of Fulham. Yeah, I think it's going to be a very, very tense last day of the season because Newcastle will play Fulham on the last day. And I think that is going to be absolutely crucial when it all comes down to it. So very interesting times ahead for them. Uh, Maybe not for their fans, but definitely from a neutral point of view. And then they're facing Tottenham this weekend. You know, a team who have been a bit flaky lately. I don't know what to think of them every time I watch Tottenham now because, yes, they win games, but I wouldn't say they're massively comfortable in those wins. They rely a lot on their key players, as they have done all season. Harry Kane has finally come up trumps from the season. Not that he wasn't early in the season, but he's finally starting to score on a regular basis. And I think for Tottenham to finish any higher than sixth where they sit currently, they're going to have to rely on him so heavily to try and buy them up the table because there's not too many other players in this team who you can rely on. Um, Son's obviously injured at the moment. Gareth Bale has been in and out of the side. And really, below those two, there isn't too much reinforcements on the bench. Yes, Deli Ali's been out of the team all season. Is he going to come in and do a job? I'm not so sure. So, yeah, I think it's going to be tough for Tottenham. I don't expect it to be tough in this game, but I do expect the run-in for them to be um, a bit of a struggle, to be honest, because I think Mourinho might just be losing the dressing room at this point. Yeah, it's a strange one, isn't it? Because if you look at just look at Spurs' results... On paper, over the last few games, they've they've done really well looking at their Premier League fixtures. But then, obviously, you know they had that horrific exit from the Europa League. They lost the North London derby. They did both of those within the space of about four days. So that, I mean, from a fan's point of view, that that's got to be pretty unforgivable. And I saw the social media reaction to that, which it's always got to be careful not to sort of sort of equate social media reaction with the reaction of the average fan because it can be very different um, in reality. But the social media reaction to those two defeats was very much that Mourinho had to go. The The fans had lost patience with him, lost patience with the style of football, uh, lost patience with the sort of time and time again disappointing results in big games. I think, you know, you've got to wonder how the players feel about that. The players aren't oblivious to it. The players are aware of what the fans are saying and what the fans are thinking, even more so now than ever with social media being more and more of a thing that players are active on. And you know, Mourinho himself is active on social media. He knows exactly what's going on out there. He knows what the fans are saying about him. He must be so happy that there's no fans in the stadium for the rest of this running, because I think if there were, he would not be getting a good reception. It would be sort of back to the days he had towards the end of his Man United reign, where he was not getting the best reception from the fans at Old Trafford. Um, and that, you know, regardless of what you think of the man, that can't be a fun experience for anyone to go into a stadium with your own fans, knowing that at least half of them probably don't want you there anymore. And, you know, if they were coming up against any team other than Newcastle, you'd say, oh, it's a good opportunity for that team to take advantage of maybe some weaknesses in Tottenham and take advantage of that situation. But Newcastle are just shocking this season. And I think it's not often that I want a team to get relegated unless my club has a big rivalry with them, because I don't think it's fair to do that. But I think Newcastle deserve to be relegated with the way they've played football this year. It's been really, really poor. And honestly, how Steve Bruce is still in a job I don't understand for the life of me. I mean, the form they're in, the way they've played all season, the lack of any sort of optimism in the way they play is just really, really worrying. For a fan, it must be one of the most miserable seasons they can remember because although they've not been sort of in the relegation zone, I think at any point this season, they've they've not really been in the relegation zone, but they've been on the edge of it and they've been steadily dropping further and further towards it. So it's just sort of a really, really slow motion car crash for them, I think. So yeah, I obviously I have gone for a Tottenham win in this one. I think they've they've got enough, but I don't think that's because Tottenham are very good. I just think Newcastle are so bad that Tottenham can probably go into this at half speed and still come away with a, a 3-0 comfortable victory. Yeah, I mean, my prediction's not too far off yours. I've gone for a 2-0 Tottenham win. And I totally agree. I think most teams who go to Newcastle right now will, will pick up a three points because Newcastle bereft of confidence without a couple of their really key players who help them tick. Without Callum Wilson and Alan St. Maximan, you know, they're really going to struggle to create anything going forward. And I think that is the the real crux to their problem. But ultimately, I don't have too much sympathy for Newcastle because in my eyes, they've really fucked themselves over. Well, rather, Mike Ashley has fucked them over. And I think there's so much more to it. Obviously, his poor management and his lack of, you know, funding that he's pumped into the club. But, you know, the fact that they've got Steve Bruce there as manager on a huge contract by the sounds of things. And the fact that they haven't stacked him because they would have to pay off four million to get rid of him, I think says so much about how poorly that club is run because a manager like Steve Bruce shouldn't be a manager you look to for long-term commitment to the club. You know, he's a manager who will 
get your results every now and then, of course he will, but he won't ever lead your club to, you know, Europe, European football. It just won't happen under that management because he plays such negative football that people can break it down and, and pick it apart, which is what people do every week. But yeah, so basically, I think it's rotten down to the core, Newcastle United. And until they find new owners, I really don't see anything changing. And if anything, I, I do think relegation could actually do them a favour, as, as weird as it sounds. I think Mike Ashley would be forced to sell the club. And no doubt there'd be an abundance of people interested because it's such a sleeping giant. Newcastle United are probably one of the biggest teams in the Premier League. But every season, they seem to get worse, if anything. And nothing's ever going to change unless that management changes or the structure of the club changes. So I really hope for, for Newcastle and their fans' sake, because as we know and we've spoken about before, they've probably got one of the best fan bases in the Premier League. And they've struggled for so long, obviously. Um, even when Alan Shearer was at the club, they weren't exactly flying. So, yeah, I really do think they need new management and relegation probably would do them a favour. I mean, yeah, do you agree with that? Do you think they could potentially benefit from a relegation? Yeah, it sounds like a really weird thing to say, doesn't it? Because no one, no one ever benefits from relegation. But in, in some ways, sort of like a, a hard reset is almost what they need. It's similar to what we were saying about Sheffield United. They probably will benefit from going down for a season and fighting their way back to the Premier League and rebuilding. And I, I think more so for Newcastle, it's, exa- it's exactly what you've said. They need to get relegated so that Mike Ashley has to sell the club and then they get new investors come in and, and someone that's actually prepared to invest in the team and, and push them forward. I remember last time Newcastle were in the championship and sort of on the verge of getting promoted and the excitement and optimism around their fan base was was huge um, in terms of sort of their real belief that this was the turning point for them and I think it's sad that it, it's never come to anything because they've, they've just ended up back in the same position they were in before so yeah I completely agree I think if they got relegated it'd probably be the best thing that could happen to them because if they survive this season all that does is it justifies Mike Ashley's actions. It gives him some validation for not investing. He can turn around to the fans and say, well, look, you know, we still survived. We're still a Premier League team. Whereas if they get relegated, it really does force his hand. And I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. It would be the best thing for the team right now. Yeah, I guess the one thing you just have to hope uh, for Newcastle is that they don't go the same way as their rivals. Obviously, with sort of Sunderland's. They got relegated two seasons in a row after they dropped out of the Premier League, down into League One. They finally have a new investor now who seems to be bringing the club forwards, but they were down there for so long, I think it really affected them financially. So you'd have to hope for a Newcastle point of view that they're able to rebuild in the championship and come up under new owners, new manager, and the whole thing changes because I think that would be absolutely huge. And like you said, I think they wanted that under Rafa Benitez the last time they were in the championship, but they didn't back the manager. They didn't back a world-class manager in Rafa Benitez and they ultimately paid the price. And this is why they find themselves where they are today. And yeah, it's all a bit sad, really. But fingers crossed, a hard reset, like you said, does help this club because I think they all desperately need it, both as fans and you know, fundamentally, the foundations of the club are, are built on the fans. So I think it's so important for the for Newcastle United that they can regroup and rebuild in the championship. OK, moving on then to probably the team they'll be fighting over that last place in the relegation zone with Fulham currently one spot below Newcastle, who travelled to Aston Villa uh, this weekend. And you'd probably argue it's a winnable game for Fulham because Aston Villa lately, without Jack Grealish, said it last week, said it probably a couple of weeks ago as well, every single time we talk about Aston Villa and Jack Grealish isn't in the team, it makes a huge difference. I think the last six games they've played without Jack Grealish, they've only won one of them. And it was a pretty fortuitous win against Leeds as well. Didn't really think they deserved to win that game. And I think that just illustrates just how important he is for Aston Villa. Uh, they've really dropped down the table without him. They're down to 10th now. I think they started in sixth when he was in the team and they've dropped down four places. And I expect the drop to carry on until he's back in the team. Um, I don't know if he's going to be back this weekend. I think I saw some pictures of him in training, but whether he'll go straight back into the starting 11, I'm not too sure. But I think Fulham will definitely be targeting this game for points because I thought they were pretty unlucky to lose out on a point against Leeds. I thought the Leeds goalkeeper, Meslier, had a great game against them. But again, I don't think the fight was quite there for Fulham in their last match. And that's something that has to be there every single match they play now. Obviously, using the cliche, every game's a cup final, but it literally is for them now because they can't get out of this situation without winning games. So... I think they'll be targeting this game along with a couple of other games towards the end of the season to really pick up three points. And realistically, I think Aston Villa away is a game they should be expecting to get something out of. I think it's going to be a tight game because both teams are struggling for form at the moment. But if anything, I think I'd probably edge Fulham on the day if, if Aston Villa are without Jack Grealish again. Yeah, like you, I've seen pictures of Grealish back in training, but you you never know actually how much work he's putting in, whether he's just back on the grass doing a bit of running, sort of easing back in, or whether he is back in full training and, and preparing to play this weekend. But 
I would be surprised to see him in the starting lineup. I wouldn't necessarily be surprised to see him on the bench. But even if he is on the bench, don't necessarily think he would even come on. He would possibly almost be there just as like a morale boost for the team. Yeah, unfortunately for Villa, as you said, without him, they're a different team. They are absolutely run by Jack Grealish at the moment. Without him, they they don't create in the same way. They don't tick in the same way. The whole midfield attacking unit is completely different without him. And it's a brilliant opportunity for Fulham if, if he doesn't play to pick up points against a team that a lot of their rivals in, in that sort of relegation battle have dropped points to. So yeah, huge opportunity for Fulham. I hope they seize it. I think they've got some real potential to get a result in this game, but it would be naive of them to go into it thinking it's it's going to be a an easy win. It won't be. They'll have to work really hard for it because Villa are still pretty solid defensively regardless of how much weakened their attacking output has been so yeah it'd be be an interesting game I think I'm I'm not really sure which way it's going to go it's one that I'd probably quite like to watch because it could go either way but in terms of predictions I've gone for a 1-1 draw I can see both teams struggling really to create a huge amount Fulham I think will create enough to get a goal but I also think Villa will probably be able to take advantage of some of Fulham's defensive weaknesses to to get a goal that they much need as well so I have a theory about this game. It's not particularly credible. I've just pulled it out of thin air because uh, I needed something to back my prediction off. But we saw in the week or a couple of weeks where it has been the international break between Mitrovic bag a couple of goals for Serbia. And to me, I think that's enough of a sign if I was Scott Parker to put him back in my starting eleven. Josh Madger came in, got those two goals in his debut, but since then he's done absolutely nothing to prove that he's worthy of that starting position. And in previous seasons, we've seen just how important Mitrovic is for Fulham and how impactful he can be against teams. And I think coming up against this Aston Villa defence, you're going to need a big physical striker because, like you said, they are strong at the back. They've got Tyron Mings and Eric Conter, and I think those are two centre-backs you probably wouldn't want Josh Madger coming up against. I don't think he's going to get too much out of them. Whereas if you play a physical striker through the middle, like Mitrovic, who's now in form, finding the back of the net for Serbia... I, I think it would be a good shout for them to start in this game. They need a hero at this stage of the season. They need someone to come come and guide them to safety. And I, I do think someone you know, like Mitrovic could be the real saviour for them. So I've actually backed them to get a win here, uh, a 1-0 win with a Mitrovic goal. I think that would be almost the perfect remedy to the situation they're in currently. And maybe it's a momentum builder and maybe you know Mitrovic can start firing them to, to survival. It would be quite poetic, wouldn't it, if Mitrovic came in and, and did end up scoring the goals that kept him in the league, especially after earlier in the season he really struggled and obviously missed that penalty that was one of those real early sort of bad moments for Fulham that ended up meaning that they, they started off at a low point in the league and, and unfortunately have stayed there. So if he could come back into the team and suddenly become that talisman again and score loads of goals to keep them up, I mean, not even loads of goals, really, is it? He just needs to score a few important goals. And, you know, he could really put his name down in, in history as like an absolute Fulham legend if he was able to do that. Fairly exciting prediction you've made there. I, I hope I hope for the sake of football that it comes true because it would be a good storyline and it would be something pretty special to witness, especially, as we say, if it was at the cost of Newcastle getting relegated. I don't think too many football fans would be sad to see that happen at the moment. <laughs> You know what? He's not even going to play, but um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully something happens and he comes off the bench and, and gets that winner. And it would be poetic, like you said, uh, a former Newcastle player to help Fulham stay up. I think that would be uh, pretty ironic and pretty sad for a Newcastle point of view. But football has a way of doing those kinds of things. Absolutely, yeah. Right, next game up, we've got Man United taking on Brighton. Both teams coming off the back of two consecutive wins in the Premier League um, in their previous games. So good form for both. This was the game earlier in the season that was sort of epitomised the way Brighton have played all season. They had so many chances. I think they hit the woodwork three or four times in that game. And obviously United ended up managing to sneak a draw right at the end with a penalty that happened after the final whistle. So ridiculous game. Very, very entertaining. And I think we'll all be hoping for something equally entertaining this time round. But you never know what you're going to get with Brighton, do you? Like They, they play some good football and then sometimes they're just absolutely awful. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to see what prediction you've gone for with this one because I've definitely struggled a bit more with this one than I would have liked to. In my mind, it could really go either way. Yeah, I think it's going to play out very similarly to, to the matchup they had earlier in the season. I mean, both these two teams on the day can play exceptional football. We've seen it from Brighton, we've seen it from Manchester United and on that day I think they both struggled a little bit but as a result they kind of got the better of each other and like you said Brighton could have won the game maybe 3 or 4-1 but then United stuck in the game and took their chances when they came and were very fortunate to get the last minute penalty that won them the game but 
yeah, I don't think this will be an easy matchup for Manchester United because we saw in that game just how fragile they can be against, you know, a, a top quality side who play good football, um, which is what Brighton are ultimately. I think don't, I don't think they've got nearly the credit they deserve this season. I thought they played probably good football in 50% of their games and they should have won them. But ultimately, they've been quite unlucky with VAR, very unlucky with Woodwork. And I think ultimately they should be a lot higher up the table than they are. Um, which might maybe mislead people looking at this game as um, a partial viewer and, and trying to make a prediction. I do think it's going to be a really close game, actually. And I think some of the injuries that Man United currently have are going to play an impact as well, because we've seen probably for a good couple of months now that Marcus Rashford hasn't really been himself. I think he's had a back injury that he's never really recovered from. I think he's been forced into the starting lineup and he's been playing week in, week out, and it's nothing seems to be improving. He's not really scoring regularly. And again, they're so heavily reliant on Bruno Fernandes. And if he's not going to be supplying anyone up front that he can rely on or has that chemistry with, um, ultimately, I think it's probably going to be Cavani or someone like that up front for them this weekend. You know, it might all fall apart for them. And we've seen it before. They lost to Sheffield United at home. You know, I think it could easily happen again. I'm not predicting that to happen, though. I think United probably will just have enough at Old Trafford to see off Brighton. But it, I'm not confident about my prediction. I've gone for a 2-1 win. But easily, I could see Brighton nicking a win 2-1 as well because... Uh, equally capable and like I said in the last game you know former players coming back to haunt their past clubs you could easily see Danny Welbeck scoring for Brighton and, and winning the game for them so I think it could be quite an interesting one actually. Yeah it's definitely going to be an interesting game as you said there's there's loads of history in this fixture from earlier in the season that I, I can definitely see it panning out as similar as well. The only difference in this one now is I think United look so much more solid now in this part of the season defensively um, than they did when they played Brighton earlier in the season. I don't think they're a team now that ships three goals to a, a team in the bottom half of the table, whereas earlier on in the season, they, they definitely were. Now looking at their defensive record, I mean, they've not conceded a goal in their last four games um, in the Premier League and they, they do look really, really solid. So I'm, I've been really impressed with them. I think they've got a really, really good pairing at the back now with Lindelof and Maguire. Luke Shaw, as we spoke about in last week's episode, when we talk about the England squad, Luke Shaw's on the best form that he's been in for years and years and years. So as a defensive unit, they're looking really, really good. And I think Brighton are going to struggle a lot more to break them down this time round. So I've gone for a 2-1 win for Man United. I think United will, will have enough in this game. And although Brighton will probably give them a hard time, um, I don't think it's going to be as much of a goal fest as it was last time round. No, yeah, I think you're right. But I think one big difference in this game is that Manchester United will have Paul Pogba most likely in the centre of that midfield. More so than ever, he's so important to this team as like a calming influence uh, in centre mid. Playing alongside either McTominay or Fred, I think he'll just you know pull the strings. So almost allowing Fernandes to play a bit higher up and not take that responsibility um, of having to pick up the ball in the midfield and bring it forwards. I think Paul Pogba will be that person or that player who can really help push the ball forward for Manchester United. And I think going forwards for the rest of the season, he's going to be absolutely key for them uh, if they're going to solidify a Champions League spot because we've seen just how important he is and how much of an influence he is, regardless of whether you like him or not. You can't doubt that he's an absolutely quality football player and on his day, he's probably one of the best midfielders in the league. So if he comes back fit and firing and is in his top form, then I think it'll be very difficult for Brighton to get anywhere near both Fernandes and Pogba and I think they will ultimately end up winning the game for Man United. Yeah, if Pogba's back in the team then that, that definitely gives them an extra element to their, their squad that they haven't had for quite some time now and you know, as much as he's not been the most consistent player on his day, he is absolutely world class and, and I feel like teams like Brighton are the teams that he can really turn it on against and become a really key solidifying squad member for them so yeah, could could make a massive difference if he's involved. Right, so up next we've got Everton taking on Crystal Palace. Um, Everton have had some pretty poor results in their last couple of games. Obviously, we spoke earlier about how well Burnley did against them. Um, but that was a game that Everton really would have been expecting to win based on the, their form coming into it. Everton have obviously also lost against Chelsea, which not as much of a shock as the Burnley result was. Whereas Crystal Palace are coming in, obviously, with sporadic form and, and really hard to predict because sometimes they, they actually seem to play really well in, in games like this. However, having said that, I just I just have a feeling about this game that Everton are going to run right a bit. I think they'll be hurting from that loss to Burnley. I think they'll have benefited from the fact that some of their sort of key players haven't played as much international football as some of the other teams around them in the in the Premier League. And Everton will still be eyeing up their European chances this year and, and viewing this as a must-win game. With a manager such as Ancelotti, who's got a lot of experience in, in games where they're sort of must-win to keep in contention for a, a European place, I think he'll be able to get the team up for this. So I'm going to go straight out there and say I've gone for a, 
Everton 4-0 win in this game. Um, and I think Palace are going to come away from it looking pretty stupid. Yeah, something we're pretty familiar with on this podcast is slating Crystal Palace and writing them off in games they then go on to win. I'm not sure I think that's going to happen in this game, but Everton's home form has been a bit patchy lately. Um, and I think that is a reason for concern for Everton fans because as good as they've been lately in that win against Liverpool at Anfield and other wins they've had recently, they've not been overly convincing at home. And that's something that I'd worry about as a manager. I think if I was Ancelotti, I'd, I'd desperately be wanting to sort that out because losing games at home to Burnley... Um, they've had poor results again at home against Fulham in the past. And I just don't think they can keep doing that if they want to hang on to their position at the moment in the um, top eight, which is ultimately where they find themselves now. But they really should be a lot higher. Um, if they had any kind of decent home form, especially in the last couple of months, they would be well up there um, pushing for Champions League. But those ho- those home defeats have really held them back, unfortunately. And this is one of those games, again, you'd go into looking for a three points and you'd expect to be winning comfortably. But Crystal Palace, as we've spoken about so often, are such a weird team to predict. Um, they can go into games and you completely write them off in the prediction and then they'll go on and win it 1-0 or come to be like 2-0. It just doesn't make any sense. And I, I struggle to understand, even to this day, having watched most of their games this season, how they go on to get results that they do. But it happens. And I guess you can only credit Roy Hodgson for, for guiding that. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of them have been very fluky. Even their last win against West Brom, I thought they were somewhat lucky to get the win in. So... Yeah, this game is going to be interesting. I think you're right, though. Everton will be the favourites, welcoming back some some big players as well. James Rodriguez, or Jane Rodriguez, if you believe some of the rumours, um, is back in the team. And I think he'll be pulling the strings for Everton. And yeah, I do think on their day, Everton can absolutely tear a team apart. So my prediction isn't too far off from yours. Actually, I've gone for 3-0. I think they'll have more than enough to seal Crystal Palace, regardless of whether they have Zaha in the lineup or not. Yeah, I think, you know, you mentioned briefly there the Crystal Palace win against West Brom. Obviously, it's a win. It's three points. At the end of the day, that's all they needed from that game was three points. They, they, they didn't need anything else. But, I mean, considering what we've said about West Brom and how poor they've been, you know, a lot of teams would be expecting to get more than a 1-0 win against West Brom, especially playing them at home as Crystal Palace were in that. And I think that's an indication of sort of where Palace have had some shortcomings this season is in games like that where there was an opportunity to really sort of take control of the game and get a really good, solid, comfortable win, maybe beat them 3-0, go on to push on from form from that, they managed a, a fairly lucky 1-0 win. You know, the, the fact that two of their players got booked in the last in, in injury time for time-wasting during that game says all you need to know about that game. They were holding out for a 1-0 win towards the end against West Brom, who are right down the bottom of the table. And that, that says all you need to know about how Crystal Palace have been approaching a lot of these games. But yeah, I won't I won't get fully on my uh, soapbox about Crystal Palace, otherwise we'll be here all night. So we'll move on uh, to the next game, final game of the weekend, Monday Night Football, uh, sees Wolves take on West Ham. So this is a game that I'm obviously massively looking forward to. We're in desperate need of a win to, to get over the disappointment of giving away a 3-0 lead against Arsenal. This game, last time out, uh, when we played Wolves at the start of the season at the London Stadium, it ended up being a 4-0 victory for West Ham, which I definitely did not predict um, at that stage of the season. So if we manage to get anything close to that again this time, I will be absolutely delighted. I think we can do it. I think we can win. But then I've obviously got my my own bias in that uh, in that judgment. So I'm interested to hear what you think. I mean, obviously you, you saw um, the way West Ham sort of crumbled against Arsenal and then obviously in the game before that, obviously fell to a 1-0 defeat to Manchester United at Old Trafford. Do you think there are worrying signs for West Ham or do you think those are blips that should be able to be put right comfortably against Wolves? Yeah, you would think, having seen how well you've played all season, that those would be blips and you wouldn't have to worry about them too much. But I thought the nature of those two results, especially the Manchester United one more than the Arsenal game, I thought the setup of the team was wrong uh, in that game they didn't really seem to set up the team to win the game. They played very defensively. I think he played five at the back, Mark Noble in midfield. Didn't really look to attack the game as you might have thought they would uh, as a fan. You'd probably expect them to take the game to Man United and you know, really get one over a team who are above them and really start to pull away from teams chasing them for that European space. But I didn't really feel there's too much desire in that team. I don't know if David Moyes maybe has some kind of stigma about going to Old Trafford and trying to prove himself there, trying to get a result. I'm not sure how much that played a part, but ultimately that was a really disappointing result from a West Ham point of view because, you know, it was it was one of those opportunities where you could go to Manchester United and, you know, I think any team's probably capable on their day of getting a result, but it didn't really look like you believed in yourselves to get one. But then you turned it all around against Arsenal, you know, you went 3-0 up in the first half and you would expect to carry that through and 
really see it out. But again, I don't know what happened in the second half, but it seemed like a complete 360 from the team that were playing in the first half. They didn't look to play with any kind of fluidity. And I thought Arsenal just were able to pick you apart pretty easily, which is something that they weren't able to do in the first half. So I don't know why that was. Uh, obviously, it was a very similar tactic to what you've been playing all season. I think it was just a real a real bad case of complacency. I think you probably got into the change rooms at halftime, 3-1 up, and you know you just thought the game was won. But ultimately, in the Premier League, you can't play that way. Um, Arsenal really took the game to you in the second half and you paid the price in the end because you know they easily could have won that game, actually. And if anything, I think David Moyes would be pretty grateful you got out of there with a point. But yeah, like you said, those two games, I think as a West Ham fan, I would be slightly worried because this is the time in the season where you can't be slipping up. You can't be dropping points in games where you have a two-goal advantage and that's exactly what you've done. So this game against Wolves is a very interesting one. They've been impressive lately. The only two games that they've lost in recent weeks have been against probably two of the best teams in the Premier League in Liverpool and Man City. Albeit that Liverpool result was a bit disappointing probably from their point of view. I think they probably would have expected to get something out of that game. But um, yeah, unfortunately, their former striker, Jota, came back to haunt them a little bit. But I think this might be a tougher game for West Ham than maybe it should be. I think Wolves are one of those sides who are going to finish the season really strong. I don't think Jimenez will be back in the team yet, but I do expect him to feature before the end of the season. If he does make it back into that starting eleven this season, then... I think he'll fire Wolves towards that top 10. Whether it will happen in this game, I'm not too sure. But I do think it's a, a tough fixture for West Ham because Wolves will be looking to this game for points. I think they'll target it as um, a fairly winnable game. And I think they've probably seen those frailties that you showed against Arsenal and probably look to play on them a little bit. So it's a tough game to call, but I'd probably just about be siding on Wolves at this point. But maybe I'll, I'll wait to see what you think about this matchup first. Yeah, I think... You've said it absolutely right there. Wolves will look to play on on what's happened in that Arsenal game, and and unfortunately, you know, for West Ham, even if we go two nil up, three nil up in this game, the players will know what happened last game, and Wolves will know what happened last game, and Wolves will keep their belief that they can get back into it, and likewise, the West Ham players will have that element of doubt. So psychologically, there's definitely going to be a hangover from that game against Arsenal. Less so, I think, from the Man United game, because I think as as you said spot on it the, the the setup was just wrong there's very few times this season where I could say that David Moyes got it wrong but he did in that game he set out too negatively he tried to contain Man United and as we saw all it took was a, a mistake an own goal and United scored and then we only had 20 minutes or so to get back into the game and he brought on the attacking players but it was too late by then we were then trying to break down one of the best defences in the Premier League at this time of the season so that was impossible but yeah, in this game, I'm I'm going to be confident. I'm going to go for a West Ham 2-1 win. Um, I think just the fact that Wolves are still lacking their, their key talisman, as we've said so many times, Jimenez. I mean, it's hard to avoid talking about it when you talk about Wolves because it is the only reason that Wolves are not higher up in the league this season. Let's be honest, they've got a good team. They've got a good squad, but they've lost their best player. And, and teams in Wolves' position, just the same as teams in, you know, our two teams, West Ham and Southampton's position, if you lose your key talisman and your best player, even Aston Villa, you look at losing Grealish exactly the same. You can't afford to lose those players and and Wolves have really suffered from that. So I do think West Ham will be able to win this one, but I don't think it's going to be an easy game. I'm not expecting to enjoy watching it. I'm expecting to be uh, very, very stressed right up until the final whistle. But yeah, I would be very, very happy to come away with a 2-1 win in this. And I think it would be a massive, massive boost to our chances of getting European places this season. Yeah, it would be huge. Um, An absolutely vital three points if you can get them. I actually think it might be a draw, to be honest. I don't think that would be a terrible result for West Ham either. Um, I think Wolves are one of those teams who are going to finish the season pretty strong. Um, Their fixture list for the next couple of weeks is probably the, the best in the Premier League, I think their, their end of the season run is probably the most favourable set of fixtures of all the teams in the Premier League. So they'll be targeting a really strong finish this season. And I do expect them to probably start picking up points in this game. Albeit they will be missing their goalkeeper, uh, Patricio, who did look to pick up a pretty nasty looking injury in their last game against Liverpool. Um, I don't think that will play a huge part, though. Uh, I think they'll probably be OK with John Ruddy in goal. But yeah, I think it could be a very interesting game. Um, I'll probably be watching this one too because it's a Monday night and the pubs won't be open yet. So I'll be definitely keeping an eye out. And yeah, I think it's it's going to be an interesting game and either team could win it. Yeah, definitely going to be an interesting one. I think there's, there's potential for both teams to come away with a really solid victory here. There's also plenty of potential for a draw. So I mean, it's not 
I, I never bet on West Ham games anyway because I've got too much of a vested interest in them, regardless of of what's happening elsewhere. But if I was if I was to bet on this one, I, I don't know which way I'd put my money. I really wouldn't have a clue what to do, and I think I'd probably stay clear of it because it really could go either way. Okay, so just one question this week to end the episode uh, is regarding Sergio Aguero. Obviously, you've seen this week that he'll be leaving Man City at the end of the season, something that the club came out with this week. Obviously, a very interesting development and something I'm sure not too many people saw coming. I think people probably saw him seeing out his career at Man City, but that's not the way it's turning out. And it looks like he'll be on his travels this summer. Um, Our question is themed around that. And our question is, where does Aguero rank on the all-time Premier League striker list? So how good do you think Aguero is in terms of all the strikers we've seen in the Premier League in the past? We've got, you know, the Alan Shearers, the Wayne Rooney's, you know, the Van Persie's, all these strikers that you can think of. Yeah, how high up does he rank for you? It's a really, really tough question, isn't it? Because if you think about some of the massive names that we've had in the Premier League over the years. You've you've had some of the world's best players have played in the Premier League. What's really hard to judge is some of those best players have not necessarily spent a huge amount of time in the Premier League. So someone like Suarez, for example, during the time he was in the Premier League, he was absolutely sensational and probably his form in those years was probably better than any player's form has ever been in the Premier League. But he wasn't around for years and years, so he didn't score the same numbers of goals as people like Aguero have scored. So I was trying to sort of think about this and work out, you know, how do you equate who is really the best? And I I sort of came to the conclusion that there is no way of of working out who's the best out of everyone because there's so many factors that tie into it. But the one thing that seems to make it an easy way of comparing them is obviously to look at goals per game. And I did a few quick sort of calculations before we started recording just having a look at number of goals scored by some of the most prolific players and and how many appearances they'd had and it turns out that Aguero is pretty much up there with being the best of all time he's got an average of 0.67 goals per game over 271 appearances just to put that in perspective he's scored 181 goals in 271 games at the moment Andy Cole for Man United or um, for, for when he was around um, scored 187 goals, but in 414 games. So in a, nearly 150 games more, it took him to score six goals more. And obviously Cole is widely recognised as one of the best strikers that we've ever seen in the Premier League in those times as well. So when you look at those numbers, Aguero clearly is up there with the very best. Um, the only two players I could find that have scored over 100 goals and have a better rate of scoring um, are Thierry Henry, who pips in by 0.01. And actually, Harry Kane, who is in on the exact same stat as Thierry Henry, so 0.68 goals per match. Um, but obviously, Kane has played only about 21 games less than Aguero, which amazed me, really, thinking about it um, in terms of how long Aguero has been around. You know, looking at that stat, you've got to say, surely Aguero has to be recognised as one of, if not the best. He's definitely within the top five, arguably within the top three of all-time Premier League strikers. Um, so that's my sort of statistical analysis of it. I wonder what your view is, maybe from a slightly less sort of mathematic perspective. Yeah, it's quite nice that you've gone that route, actually, because I was kind of thinking along more, you know, those memorable moments that you remember top strikers for. And I think all of the players at the top of this list are memorable for all number of reasons. And, and I think the one memorable moment that everybody will go to when Sergio Aguero retires or leaves at the end of the season will be that moment where he won the Premier League for Man City at the Etihad against QPR. I mean, that that goal, that moment will never be rivaled in football history, in my opinion. I think it's one of those moments which was just absolutely perfect. The commentary, the scenario where it came in the last minute, uh, the way he picked up the ball and absolutely just like fired it past the goalkeeper. I thought everything about the goal was perfect and it kind of summarised his time in the Premier League. I think he's just been that player who's come up with huge goals time and time again for Man City. One of the most reliable strikers in Premier League history, for sure. I can just remember numerous, numerous performances where he's gone up against teams like Chelsea and just absolutely took them apart with a hat-trick uh, out of nowhere. And he was one of those strikers who could just create chances for himself. He wouldn't really rely too much on other people to create things for him. Obviously, that made his life a lot easier uh, as towards the end of his Man City career with Kevin De Bruyne coming to the team and David Silva and all these players passing the ball in great positions. But even before that, when he signed for the club, you know, I think it was re- only really Yaya Torre in behind him. He was going to pass him the ball in good positions. But really, he'd been creating those positions for himself and scoring goals for himself. And I think that is the real sign of an absolutely class striker, world-class striker. And it's very rare that you say that of any Premier League striker, that, you know, there are strikers who are just elite. But I think he's one of very few who 
any team, any time, any era would take them immediately in their team. For me, he's on par with Thierry Henry for what he's done to the Premier League. I think Thierry Henry was one of those players who came to the Premier League and kind of almost reinvented that striker role. I thought some of the finishing that he just demonstrated at his time at Arsenal was something that we hadn't seen in the Premier League before, that finesse. Um, some of the goals he scored, just the skill involved, I thought was something that you can't really ever rival. And I think Sergio Aguero's killer instinct in in the goal scoring department was something that set him apart from all the other strikers in that in that kind of way. I thought, you know, you give him the ball in the penalty area, he's going to score. And I don't think you can say that of all those players at the top of that list. Yeah, for me, he 100% makes it onto the, the greatest of all time. Where I'd rank him in terms of all-time greatness is tough because most people go towards the goal records and how many goals they've scored and how many appearances, which would make sense to judge them on that. But for me, I think he probably goes a couple of spaces higher than he, than he is in those rankings because of what he's brought to Man City. Um, almost made them the, the colossal machine that they are now. I think he was the, the main big signing that they made and he really took that team and took them to a whole new level. So for me, he's probably in the top three. I think with Thierry Henry and maybe Alan Shearer, I think those are the, the three almost iconic Premier League strikers who will always go down as being the greatest ever. Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing that really does set him apart for me as well, um, just on a personal level, I started going to watch West Ham games sort of at Upton Park in, I think the first game I went to was in about 2012, just after we um, got promoted back to the Premier League. I remember the first time I went to see West Ham play against Manchester City and it's the first time I really remember being genuinely excited to see an opposition player play against us. I'd, obviously, I didn't want Aguero to score, but there was a part of me that wanted to see him perform the way that we saw him perform on the TV. And part of me wanted to witness that in real life. And in one of the first games I saw where West Ham did play Man City, he scored the two goals that ended up meaning it was a 2-2 draw. And I remember sort of coming away from it thinking, well, obviously, I'm disappointed that we've not won the game. But at the same time, I've seen... Sergio Aguero score two goals against my club like there's there's not too much to be ashamed of about that and I think that's something isn't it when you're when you're a fan of a club but you can go to a game and still be excited to see one of the opposition players there's very few players that actually evoke that reaction and the fact that he's one of those and he's been able to do that probably not just for me I'm sure many people have thought the same going to games that he's featured in I think that says a lot about how much of a a key player he's been in the Premier League and he will go down in history as one of the best players of all time in, in the league, um, if not the best. All right, that brings us into this episode of the 3PL podcast. We'll be back again next week to preview all the upcoming games in the Premier League as we approach the business end of the season. Until then, make sure you're following us on social media, that's Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, and also make sure you're subscribed on YouTube to never miss an episode. But we'll catch you all again next week.